Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipper, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and your co-host for today's program. Now, we hope you are staying safe and are well wherever you are, and we look forward to seeing you in person again one day when it's safe to do so again at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. Until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. This is the latest in more than 400 online programs the club has produced since the pandemic struck. You can find all of our upcoming programs, as well as podcasts and videos from our past events at commonwealthclub.org. Now, if you're watching us live on YouTube, go ahead and use the chat box to submit questions for our special guest today, and we'll work some of those into our conversation. Now I want to introduce Michelle Miao. She's the producer and the host of The Michelle Miao Show, and she's a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John, and thank you to the Commonwealth Club for bringing thoughtful leaders to us to have these important conversations. Our guest today is Harma Hartuni. He was born into an Armenian Orthodox Christian family in Los Angeles, but when he was one month old, his family moved to Iran, where he was raised. While there, he was involved in an accident, breaking both legs and requiring a 12-month recovery. When he moved back to Los Angeles, he came out as a gay man. Today, he is a self-made entrepreneur, owner of a real estate company with hundreds of agents and more than $1 billion in sales volume in 2019. He's married and lives in Los Angeles with his husband, an executive at Disney, three children, three dogs, and get this, two turtles. <laughs> Let's welcome Harma Hartuni. Harma, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really, really, really enjoyed your memoir, Getting Back Up, A Story of Resilience, Self-Acceptance, and Success. I mean, I think this resonates with so many people, but especially LGBTQI people. Let's start where the book does. Um, you know, this, this fact that you are an American citizen, but yet also identify as an immigrant, the story of your mom traveling back to the United States as a green card holder to give birth to you. I, this, this is a unique, when I shared that when I was younger, no one would believe me that I was actually born here, then moved to Iran. You usually hear in Iran, they moved here and they don't go back. Um, yes, my revolution was happening. So when my mom um, came, had me and I was 30 days old, my dad was uh, not happy to move to the US and she moved back. And that's exactly when revolution happened and women had no rights in Iran and the husband makes all the decision. So she lost, uh, this is from her, obviously is in my book that they took her passports away and mine. Um, and I never came back until I was 19. And I grew up in Iran and we were Armenian. So we were minority. And that's, I just, as much as I was born here and US citizen, I never knew anything about it until I was 19. There are so many separate stories within your book that, that, you know, experiences you've had in your life that, especially to someone who just kind of has grown up in a, in a quiet town with a fairly, you know, normal, normal life. Uh, uh, it, it, there are so many of those stories that individually would be kind of life forming. Um, but let's talk a bit more about, because this is such a big part of, of, of your life and especially those early years your parents and your relationship to your parents, you, you, you touched a bit on, on, you know, how your father felt about uh, not wanting to leave her on, but he was a very controlling uh, 
abusive person. So talk about a bit about him and, and, and the, the, the marriage and that family life you grew up in. There's so much I can say. So, um, yes, my dad was an extremely smart, in, um, intelligent, successful, rich, coming from nothing um, man who simply didn't know how to love. And his excuse was that he never had someone to love him growing up because he grew up with not a great parents either or they died in early on. So, which I always thought about, well, if that's how you were raised, wouldn't you want to do the opposite? So you break the pattern and become better. He couldn't. And when I wrote the book, I truly forgiven him for everything that I have gone through because I think he did his best, although it's not an excuse for so many things. Um, I learned from him what not to do because I have kids now. Um, but I learned a lot from him. And I think he has actually shaped who I am in my business today dramatically. Uh, my mom was an extremely kind, um, giving, all about people, extremely sensitive. And um, and she is herself being, you know, abused um, physically, verbally. Um, if she protected me because I was getting it, so it was back and forth. My sister and my brother didn't see it as much. And gladly. Um, but, um, but it, I don't think I was the only family went through it, maybe a little bit more than usual, but a lot of people go through this, especially back home. And I think it happens here. They don't talk about it, but back home is kind of the norm and sadly, and that that's one of the reasons I want to share because, um, many people locally that are came from Iran, Armenia, or believe it or not, so many other cultures, they're actually reaching out. Whoever had the chance to read the book, they say, well, I just don't want anyone to know, but I went through the same thing. Um, and yes, it's, um, uh, I jokingly say when I was um, going through surrogacy for my kids, I say my dad should have been sperm donor and just be an open sperm donor and just shape my life by being an example, but not being involved. Um, and he's, he's still, the, I mean, I'm forgiven him. I have a great relationship in a sense of bare minimum, um, don't have to, you learn when you have kids to, you can, you have your own family. Now you also learn to, um, you love yourself after a certain age, you find within yourself to forgive people and very hard thing to do. I'll tell you that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, my mom and dad, I brought my mom here after I moved and I brought my brother and sister. My dad still likes the life over there. And I completely understand if you are a Middle Eastern man and you have life and you have servants and you have a beautiful car and you drive anywhere, they know you and you move here, you're no one. And if your ego is leading your life and there's no desire to be around the kids, I mean, it has to be desire to move. If he doesn't have it, if he moves here, he will be even more miserable. So, um, so he's back between United States, um, Armenia, and Iran. And sometimes <laughs> some quality of life that he's experiencing, he can be even better than us, but definitely not around his family. There was, there was a, to me, a jaw-dropping part of your book where you're talking about, you know, the abuse of, of, and, and what your mother was going through and what you as a, as the, the eldest child was kind of, you know, what you could or could not do and trying to be away from it or, or, provide support for your mother but then talking about the other families right around you 
who were going through much the same thing. And in fact, the family below you going through an even worse case. I mean, really does say something to kind of the, the, the environment that, that the ones around. And the, 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 in the, the family that you're referring to, they, uh, they couldn't leave the country, right? They couldn't migrate here. It was not easy for them. So they didn't. Um, but, and I recently heard that the oldest son was, was my age and we both basically, I call it like grew up together, suffered together. He recently, um, Odeon um, drugs and past. And um, I don't know what my life would have been. I was thinking about it. I, my book was already coming out. So it was written. I was just thinking that could have been me. If I couldn't have the opportunity, if my mom didn't have give birth to me here, I would have never maybe be here considering he would never let me come. And um, although I, nothing is wrong, but I didn't do drugs. I didn't have that desire. I put my energy towards maybe something else. But that friend of mine over there who just passed didn't have a choice. And he only, see, you only know what you know, right? If you don't know that you don't know, and that becomes your reality. So he did, he did never been exposed to it. He doesn't know you can have more in life or be who you are. And he just followed the father's footstep and um, it's pretty sad. You, you, you do mention, you know, there's a part in the book in which you talk about having or experiencing the Iran-Iraq war and having to, you know, run to a building and, and hide. Um, and the question is really, uh, you know, what was more scary? Or do you think that your dad insulated you and your family from other types of, uh, I guess, unsafe situations because of who he was? But what was scarier, you know, living under his control or living outside of it? I... I we did. I was young. I didn't really understand what does that mean. Run three floors down, run across street under a building, which I didn't even understand why that building, not the next building, because it was that young that it's a concrete building and the basement is safe. If the whole building collapses, people underneath will survive. Nothing else on the neighborhood will have that. So everyone on the street would run towards one building. So I didn't. I, I knew that's. It became. Um, kind of a habit is something like the norm. You just do that when you hear the alarm goes on and you just wake up no matter what time of the night it is. And it was usually at night because, you know, they would have a bigger damage. And that, I I don't think that really traumatized me as much as worrying um, he's upset, he's coming home and what will happen. And then again and again and again. So you can tell from my tonality um, that is a lot of again. But then I'm sure it was a lot of alarm. And I don't remember it. It just didn't matter. And we moved on from it. So um, I think as I grew, it's, it's every, every human goes through some kind of trauma, right? And the trauma is which one registers deeper and deeper. And um, I think the the trauma of making sure she won't be beat up or hurt or he's happy as long as he's happy or he's a traveling, he's gone. Um, it, it was just, I, I think that's one of the reasons I'm very strategic in my life. It's like, I'm constantly thinking what will happen when this happens. Like I'm constantly thinking ahead. 
So um, I think that was more traumatizing, um, making sure that he's not around or he's happy so we don't have to have a consequences. So spoiler alert, of course, you eventually come out as gay and, and married, husband, etc. But um, as a child, you were in a very, as, as you say, a very hyper-masculine environment. And, and as someone who stood out as different, you, you were really kind of going through trying to avoid that, trying to hide from it, trying to present yourself differently and such. Could you talk a bit about that and, and how you dealt with that as a young kid? Back, okay, yeah, in Iran, right? Yep. Um, so there is no gay in Iran. If you sleep with man, you're not gay. So just, that's just the way it is. So, and I said it's so simple because now you're like, what is it talking about? Well, think about it. If you don't have an acceptance ever in any capacity from your culture to your family to media to government, so that means it doesn't exist. So you start developing this denial that you are who you are. I would look at um, men's chest and I will be attracted to it. But I, was, I just thought something is wrong with me. And then I was popular with girls. I had a lot of girls and my friends will just walk with me because I will find girls and then but I just thought that will be my life. I will grow up, I'll marry a girl, and then I just have my hidden life or whatever that is. It's not, um, it's a life. It's just desire. You do, you move on, you stay quiet about it. Until I moved here, I even at first when I moved here, I didn't realize that I can do this. I can be a man and like men. That just wasn't, I was not okay. As a matter of fact, a, a guy asked me out for dinner. I was like, why do we want to have dinner? I was like, just get to know each other. I'm like, why do we want to get to know each other? Because I was like, what do you want to do? I'm like, you know, whatever two men do. And then we move on. He goes like, do you don't want to get to know each other? I'm like, it's so bizarre. What I could not comprehend. I don't know how to say it, but then it took me a while to be okay with myself. So when I was struggling myself is when, my uh, my mom was putting pressure on me. Who are you going out? Who are you going out? And that's where I was like, I, I don't know. I really don't know what's happening with me. And and I felt I need to come out, cut everyone, be disowned almost, so I can actually adapt something new because there's no way the existing family will love you because I just thought, that's it. If you come out, you're gone. And back home... Um, as you know, if you read the book, I, I just thought something was wrong with me. So I would go to uh, androcologist, hormonal doctor to just fix myself. You know, I will say I'm short. I'm going to see a hormonal doctor. And then I will tell the doctor, forget about my height. Like I'm feminine. Fix me. I don't want to be feminine. So I, oh, and it took a long time to be okay with it. Speaking of that doctor's visit, um, I, I, I mean, you know, we, you bring it, the coming out story, but the coming of age years in what you describe as one of the most homophobic cultures in the world uh, to, it was very traumatic. You share very traumatic experiences in the book, going to see the doctors and then the doctors basically, you know, assaulting you, you know, fondling themselves uh, as you're there, you know, thinking you're, you're going to see a doctor or the assistant principal that offered you a ride home 
and um, straddling, you know, basically, basically, yeah, straddling you in to the motorcycle. How have you dealt with that traumatic experience? I will be honest. It's, I think I had so many other things. I don't know if that has been the biggest part of my life. I'm, I'm not saying it's n- n- too small or who cares. That's not what I'm saying. But a lot has happened that I think is more um, affected me. I used to be at the age of 12, 13, 14. I used to, my hair was coming out, my legs, my mustache, and I will get a a patch of hairs missing because I was so um, traumatized all the time. And there's a condition that you get that your hairs don't grow and then grow back and some other places don't. And um, I don't think any of that happened because of the principle or that I just, I just start feeling not safe around anyone. I just, that happened. Yes. I start withdrawing. I was like, Oh, well, I don't know what will happen if I put myself in this position. So I start not telling who I am, what I like, what, like, you know, I like dancing. I like whatever. I just thought not to tell anyone because I don't know what will happen. But, um, but someone asked me, does your dad, you don't talk to your dad as much, or you don't have a good relationship because of your gay. And I said, no, actually, I never got to talk to him about that. There's a lot more that it really would be. I wish it was just like, I don't accept you because you're gay. That would be great because there's a reason. I will actually understand that. So I, yeah, the things that happened to me, um, yeah, the doctor's office that I visited, um, it wasn't the doctor alone. He brought another doctor and I just was like, you as a kid you believe that well i guess that's the world you're growing into like everybody does it you know you don't realize that's not something normal so um and again in iran um a lot happens um that people don't talk about and just not sexually just so many things in so many levels so it was just another thing i had to bury and move on and i'm very good in like blocking and moving on to something um, but that's one of the incidents. The principle is one, and I'm sure so many kids have gone through it. I'm not the only one. I think if I were you, I definitely would have blocked out the whole circumcision scene, um, <laughs> which we'll, we'll not get into here now, but viewers, it's the chapter of the book that was written by Stephen King. Um, <laughs> but so, so when you were growing up and, and, uh, both learning about yourself and as well as kind of just feeling your way in, in, in life. Were you see, did you just assume your entire life would be in Iran or did, did you always kind of expect that you'd get to the United States at, as no, soon as you could? Never. No, no. I never thought I will be allowed to leave. Yeah. I don't think he would have ever. I mean, I, I remember uh, I said, is California weather nice? And I remember he just went back. He was like, don't ever talk about America. So he was like, just, and that's one of the things I learned now. It's like, you don't want to hold you. More you say no to a kid, more they want to know. So it was, I, that moment triggered more. I'm like, why not? I want to know more. And so it, I just thought, you know, he's successful. I'm going to be his heir of the, take the business over or become a doctor in, then own what he has, all the buildings and all that. And um, then I will have the 
hottest, cutest girl. I'm going to have kids and I'm going to have vacation homes and I'm going to have fun with men on the side. And, and I will maybe hopefully when I'm my own man and I have kids, I get to travel somewhere because it was just limited. It was not an option. And then the accident happened. And I was like, well, I'm never going back, you know, because I just felt I just left the prison. Uh, the accident chapter. Oh, my God. I felt gutted. I just I was just like wincing at, you know, the uh, description. And actually, it's not just an accident. It's a double accident. And you survived right. that. Um, can you share a little bit about it without too much? Because anybody tuning in, you should definitely grab the book to read, you know, how this this man, Harma, really overcame so many traumatic experiences, but the accident is huge. Um, in Iran, you don't wear seatbelt. And um, the reason I share that because I'm not a religious person. I, I, we did, we, although we were Christian, we didn't grow up going to church every weekend, but there was something I still believe this person is with me. It's an angel or just like energy, this light came to my car and I was, cause like, you're going to die soon. And I just pulled over. I started looking for a seatbelt that was never used. It was not like we have right now. You roll out. It's like manually. You have to adjust. So I put it on. I got on the car and drove back on the very narrow road on the mountains. Hit a car. I'm not going to get too much on the details. And then I hit a car. My car got totaled um, completely. And I had to use the back door to get out. And I jumped out and was waiting for police to get there. Obviously, I was thinking my dad will kill me because the car was gone. I was like, that's all I was thinking. And another car hit me and my both legs broke, and which I didn't know. I f they came, they pulled the cars away. I fell down and then I tried to get up. But then I realized, oh, I cannot stand up because, you know, it's, it's graphic and um, bones and all that. And. And that was it. And that's where um, I went to the hospital. It took a couple of days to do a surgery because the surgeon who was apparently the best, and I didn't know he is the best now. He's a very popular doctor. Um, he was new. Uh, he just moved back to Iran after he did his uh, education in Austria. And he um, um, saved me. I will say that I am not limping he, they took bones from my hips and they had pig's bone. Apparently pig's bone is the only one, the only bone that works with human's body. I didn't know they had that ready. And they, in 16, 17 hours of surgery straight, they're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to do one leg at a time. And um, 11 months later, I was on a walker going to LAX. Actually, 12 months later, yeah, 12 months when you're describing your recovery, um, you, you mentioned that you were angrier than you had ever been before. You were embarrassed. You hated everyone. Tell us about that and what, what that was doing to you is, is really what I'm getting at too. I mean, just how was that forming you or what were you fighting against within yourself? I was disabled. I couldn't do anything. I, I used to do everything. I was the guy. And now I've, Whoever was around me for money and because I was there to be the fun guy, taking them out, having them dinner, gone. Um, my, I danced for nine years, 11 years of gymnastic, gone. School, you can't hold it because 
you have to continue. So then you're out. So I was out. Um, I couldn't have my hidden life gone. I had friends um, because Armenians are very protective of Armenians. So I have a Muslim friends, which again, when I say that, it sounds like a religious thing. It's not, it's more of a cultural thing. But I had my other friends I couldn't see done. And I was just sitting on the living room in our room and on a bed inside the living room because that's where everyone can see me. And that was where the TV was. And and I don't know if just when you lay down um, tomorrow morning, when you wake up, do this exercise, 15 minutes, lay down and look up and put the phone down and straight and not on the side, not on the other, not leg up, straight, 15 minutes. Just count 15 minutes. Look how slow that 15 minutes goes. Make that 11 months. Time just wouldn't go. And then in between, I had to call my mom that I have to do number two. I have to do number one. And, you know, I had to sit down because I would get a lot of bruises in the back because I was laying down too much. And um, then in surgery again, and then back in bed again. And couldn't see the sun, couldn't go out and didn't go out. And then people will come, family members, and sit next to me and then tell me what I did, which they were not there. And that's one of the things I learned in my business right now. It's like, stop giving me opinion when you're not qualified. So like, I remember one setting of the family members sitting and they're like, yes, Harma was driving so fast and hit a car and broke his legs. And I'm sitting right there. I'm like, no, that didn't happen. Not the first accident, second accident. I was not driving fast. Something was happening. It was just like an energy. They're like, Harma, you were traumatized. I'm like, literally took my dad two, three years after to find out that I was saying the truth because they saw another car hit me, but they were like, "Mm, how did this all happen at the time? I'm like, no. So, um, so just like, um, it's extremely difficult when you are in bed and everyone has an opinion of your life, how, how my life was going to be. That was another one they were deciding while I was the one in bed. Um, I didn't know. I just imagine I was so scared. I didn't know what does this mean? And you think it's like, do I want to live like this? Because again, the doctor said, you're not going to walk. And then, um, and then with all the trauma, I was like, I'm now I'm going to be on wheelchair and, and deal with, I was like, very scary. So when they said, if you walk, you're going to go to the U S I, um, any, any oil of any animal, any magical pill from any country, any soup and chicken stew, chicken feet stew to pig's ears. I eat any disgusting thing you can imagine that they said you eat and you survive. I was eating. Oh, I can, I can so connect with that, especially yeah. growing up with an Asian mom. <laughs> I mean, I, I, even an Asian wife currently, she's applying Vicks vapor rub to my my scalp. You mentioned it, a exactly. hair thing. I, I, I'm actually yeah recovering from an alopecia episode. Um, but you know, actually, I want to go back because you said something about you know the the accident, and then if you're able to walk again, you'll get to go to the United States. But that actually was a negotiation that you made with your father. Um, right before the hospital. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's kind of, it's so trippy to me because, you know, you had that situation happen with the, the, the man that you saw, the bearded man before the accident who said you were going to die. 
and then the accident happened and then you know you for whatever reason i didn't think that your dad was going to say yes to you going to the united states even to visit but he does and in some ways this message of death became like a new lease on life because you were able to to get to the united states it you, the intention was to leave iran for good mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah yes i think every human every man human has two lives is the one you're born to and then the one that you realize life is too short you have to live your life so i had it at the age of 18 some people never have it some people have it very late i believe i'm grateful that it happened i really am grateful because look what i have can you imagine if i never had this and i had whatever it was supposed to be i take whatever this is. i'm very happy and if i had to go through the pain again knowing this is i will take it hands down um it's um yeah i was born again like i was just like okay new life go live your life and i remember um you brought this up so i was on a bed my legs were tied on the bed because they were broken so they put a wood around it to make sure it doesn't move and i was just laying down and they wouldn't give me medication because of the doctor request they wanted to, to make sure i won't take the wrong medication until the actual doctor comes to the hospital so for two and a half days i was just in pain and they wouldn't even give me medication it was they would lock my hand to the bed so i wouldn't scream and cry and um so they they i was in bed and they were taking me to the room and i remember my dad was standing right there of course my mom and some family members they were all there and i said um i'm going to die in the surgery and i knew i was not going to die cuz it was just a leg surgery and i said and you never let me go see the us and i was like i never thought what he's going to say is actually going to allow it to and then he said if you're going to when you come out when you walk you will go not knowing he thought i'm never going to walk so um and it was obviously the most traumatizing thing and i don't care if your dad or mom don't like you love you they don't know how to love you i think that moment no matter what kind of parent you are you just i think hit the bottom i think i think that will be the worst thing for me so he i just remember his eyes and he said that obviously i don't remember for a few days i was out and until that and i remember the moment i opened my eyes and i really gathered what the hell is going on in my room and he said i'm going to walk and i'm going to go to the us that was like determined and talking about visualizing and when the secret came out people are laughing some people like this is like if i think that i've been practicing the secret that everybody is talking about i literally think i've been visualizing i'm going to the us and um and then when the time came and i he i bought the ticket and he thought his round trip and i was like oh, i'm not coming back but he when i bought the ticket i was so scared as you read the book i was like he's not going to let me go and he did and um i was shocked and he came we came to the airport somehow so my mom knew i'm not coming back knew it from my eyes we cried as if i'm never coming back and but that was to everyone else around it's like oh he's half fun because it's very culturally you take your family to the airport you kiss them you send them away even if it's a vacation this is not how it is here and i go on vacation no one takes me i can i beg people to take me to airport over there is like the entire you know crew and the camel and everyone <laughs> carries you to the airport so um no yeah and that's it that i left 
Talk to us about your uh, interlude in the military. You had to serve in the Iranian military, and some serious stuff happened. But the the beginning of it, when you're just describing how you're in a wheelchair and they make you march, march with with the the troops during the training, is is straight out of a sitcom. I mean, I mean, tell us about that. That was very interesting. Um. The educational system or military system, it's all making sure that you believe the story that Israel, America are one, they're hated, and we are being trained to protect our country. And um, so it doesn't matter if you're wheelchair or disabled, less educated, more, you still have to go through the same path. The first six months is a training. Everyone must go through it. And then because of the government was overloaded with so many people and they have to, it's costly. They start selling out the remaining of the period that you have to serve. I had to do it in order to get my paper because you can get an Iranian passport if you don't have that. And um, it, it, the flags were on the ground in every, every military base has it. It's not just one. It's like this entire country, wherever you go, if they have a military that they're going to march or they, they have that sort it's shot if you think about it psychologically it's very stupid that you have a flag of a country and not your own country on the ground and you walk on it like it's like it's a statement it just makes no sense right and they will make everyone walk on it and i can tell you 90 percent of people who are they're not they don't care it's not like they do it because of the hate they just became a norm um yeah they make me do that i will, will be funny try to say, okay, I can't go and I'm going to go from the side, you know, just not walk on it. So, um, but yeah, and that was another experience. Um, and I think from the doctor, from my principal prepared me for that. So I think everything happens for a reason. So um, that my um, sergeant was in love with me. I don't know how else to say it or like me. And um I just thought, now nah, I'm not going to leave because he won't give me that paper. And um, I got it. And it literally took my couple of days to just for me to get my passport and out. For the sake of time, just because, I mean, you have so many stories. And I, I want to make sure that our audience gets a, a good um, highlight of these stories. Because, I, I, again, I do think that you should go out and get the book, Getting Back Up. Um, but stuff happens with your sergeant. I mean, even he tries to keep you, you know, in Iran, as you'd mentioned. And so if you want to find out what happened, you you have to read the chapter. But fast forward to getting to America. Um, there's one part of it, and it's the part where you're at the gas station with your uncle and his girlfriend, I think. And, um, and yeah, and she spots an Armenian celebrity hairdresser and supposedly super well-known. Um, and I think that was the first time you had heard the term gay because she, she says he's gay. And anyway, you tell the story better than I do, but I thought it was um, fascinating that this, that you, you called up this person to take you somewhere where there would be other gay people. But even then you were like, I'm not gay. I just, I, I want to go meet other men. I, because I, I wasn't, I was like not going to be like him. You know, I was like, I'm not going to be like you, but can you take me there? And um, yeah, I, I remember whoever is watching this, please know that there was 20 years ago, we didn't have, I had a Nextel phone that I couldn't afford to call. So it was a walkie talkie with my uncle. That's all I had. 
So I had to call him too, and I didn't want him to know who I was. So I had to go from a phone, use 25 cents and dial the number, hoping he will pick up, not knowing, you know, it was, a, I will say I was very determined to find out what is the gay life look like. So um, I, yes, he helped me um, understand and being exposed and. Um, and what a bar he took you to though, the Abbey. The Abbey. <laughs> Abby. And Abby doesn't look like what it is now. It was just like a small place and um, and then grew what it is now. It was a small coffee shop, little place to eat, and a little music in the back. So there were no go-go dancers? Oh, no, 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 no. Nothing like this. Nothing like now. Oh, wow. So you, you would go and have water and just kind of watch people? Yeah, I was just like scared to even have the water. I thought something will be in it and I will never get make it home. I was so scared. And I would just stand in the corner next to him and watch people. And um, and I would be like, he's gay? He has a mustache. Or, he, like, you know, that guy, guys, he's much older. He can't be gay. He's most, like, he just thought the period is over. You get over it. And, and I'm like, he's married, right? They're like, no, he's not. I'm like, I just had all of the wrong stuff in my head. So it's like um, the process. And I... Just at, at one point I was getting so many compliments. I'm like, oh my God, gay people are so cool, you know, but I'm not gay. And then eventually I was like, I think I'm very gay. And, um, and I just um, had the courage to come out. Wait, one last question before we get to John. Well, who is that hairdresser? Are we not allowed to say? I don't know if he would like it. I don't have that conversation with him, but you know, there are a few of them. They're all popular. But he left, definitely shaped me, um, my, my, helped me a lot. Awesome. awesome. You, you, of course, have family in the L.A. area, and, and that, that's been a, a help in inculcating you into the area. But did you ever consider or have you, especially in the early time there where you were starting to realize, hey, I'm, I might be this gay thing, did you ever kind of consider what it would have been like if you had instead moved from Iran to New York or Chicago or Atlanta or something like that, where you didn't have, you know, the Armenian connections and, and family there? How much of that was a help and how much of that, if, if it did, you know, hindered you kind of exploring yourself? Culturally, we don't do that. We don't go anywhere by ourselves. We go where everyone else is. If you look at our pattern, our history, go back, Armenians are very one and connected although obviously i was the black sheep and you know i'm married non-armenian and i'm gay and on and on but the it was not an option i didn't even know it was an option to go to san francisco or new york or go chicago because what would you do you go where everyone else is and it took it didn't take me long to leave glendale because i didn't blend in and i just for many reasons but I definitely um wasn't i'm gay i'm uncomfortable there's so many other principles. I, it was like I was just not fitting myself in the society. Um, and as much as coming out, this can be challenging for so many people. And I had my own share. But I think um, there's so much more that creates your behavior, creates your principle, your um, how you look at life. And I've been always different. I've been very open with so many things. And... Um, I don't know if I, sh I there a lot. And um, I think I was just not a good fit to be in Glendale or be around the family. Um, and because culturally it's just fear like 
mom becomes dad, dad becomes mom, cousin gets involved in the other. It's just like, we just do that a lot. And um, I just didn't feel like that's the environment I want to be in regardless. And uh, I wanted to make a uh, life out of my, for myself. So it wasn't being gay. I, I honestly think I used being gay, just get out and create something. It wasn't like, I'm forced to do this poor me and how I'm going to do my life. It was like, okay, great. Disown me and let me just create my own little island wherever that is and start my life. Because it wasn't like um, I was so determined to be so successful so I can show my dad I can be bigger than him. So I, in the process, of course, I was in parallel. I was dealing with this. But um, it did help me. It did help me to just jump out and be uncomfortable with everything else at the same time. Because I think if I had the comfort and I had a mom who throw me a coming out party and love me and says, don't worry about financially, I think I would never be where I am. So it pushed me to build something for myself. What, what about the decision to have a family? It just seemed like um, such a far, you know, you'd come so far from that time that you thought, hey, having relationships with men would just be kind of a side thing to then coming to L.A., building a very successful business, meeting the love of your life, and then deciding to have kids and, and not even, you know, through something like adoption, but through surrogacy and, and exploring, you know, this concept of family building as an LGBTQI person who grew up in one of the most homophobic cultures in the world. Yeah. I mean, as you just mentioned, when you come out, you just don't think you're going to have kids. Like I, I just put that aside at one point. I was like, okay, this is it. I won't have a family. Growing up, that's all I wanted to have kids. And maybe because I want to be a better example um, for my kids. And then I came out, I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. So I'm going to buy nicer homes, vacation homes. I'm going to travel more, have a nicer car and have a lot of money and work hard for it. And then I was 29 years old when my sister called and I was having in a nice restaurant with my husband having dinner and partner. And, um, she told me, I mean, you know, I, she, I was very close to my sister and I helped, I mean, she was my life. I felt kind of like a father figure for her when she called me and she says, I'm pregnant. I was so excited. And I was like, I can't believe I'm going to be an uncle. And then, um, and again, nothing is wrong. If someone doesn't want to have kids, I always want to have kids. So it just was a different feeling. So I don't know what happened within 15, 10 minutes after she called, I just got so sad. And I was like, why am I not happy? I'm like, I'm happy for her, but I felt like, what about me? And so we were having dinner and I said, listen, we're at a very young age. We are working so much and I don't know how long I just want to do this. And what is it? Are we ever going to have a legacy left for anything we want? You know, we, I've been judged all my life and everything I do, I'm being judged. So can I, I at least I want to do something for ourselves and my partner never thought about having kids. And we, as a matter of fact, we said, we're never going to have kids. And I looked at him. I said, do you want to have a baby? And he laughed. He said, do you want a baby? I was like, and I, so he didn't say absolutely hard. No, I was like, and obviously I grabbed that opportunity. I was like, let's do have a baby. And we like, and if you look at my pattern in everything in my life, I don't wait. I just move very fast, bad or good. I move very fast. So I remember it was a weekend on Monday morning. I already had a call set up to find out which agency does what. First, I looked into adoption, but I owned an office um, in 
LA, few offices, and one of my offices had an agent who was going through adoption, gay father, and the baby was taken away from him nine times. In California, the, the mom has 10 days to recall the paperwork or the process. So he was like devastated. He was building a place for the baby. They will take the baby. Where It was like we were all raising money for the, to get an attorney for him. And I just like felt, I don't know if I want to go through that process. Um, I tried to have an adoption through Armenia and they're like, absolutely, a gay couple cannot have kids. Russia, um, Iran, Dan, Pakistan, they, we couldn't. It's easier to single straight man than a gay couple to have kids there. And I was like, um, then I was like surrogacy. And then it was like, went through th- three agencies and um, very fast. I was moving very fast, determined to get that done. Then I met an agency. I loved them after the third one. And I was like, this is it. And then they told me it's going to cost around $80,000. And I was like, and when do you need it? Because like, it's all together at the same time. I was like, well, foreclosures were happening. I was just starting my career. I was buying properties. I was so cash poor. And I was like, well, that's a lot of money. I can't do it. So we went and we saved up a year later, we went and we said, okay, we are ready because we had to have money ready. And then they said, well, the price is 110. Like what? How do you just like go us up? Like, you know, and so we went back, we waited a few more months, saved more money and we started the process. And um, our most people don't share this part of the story because it doesn't happen to everyone, but ours was, same surrogate, same donor, twice, back to back. And every single time took it on the first round. So we didn't have to wait too long. We fell in love with our surrogate mother very fast. Our donor was very generous and fast and willing to do it. And so the team just, everything worked. So we wanted to have a boy and a girl. We had a boy and a girl on the nine weeks. We realized we no longer have twins. It's only a boy. And when our son was born, our doctor said, let's have, uh, we want to have a girl. We told the doctor, don't tell us if it's his or mine initially. So just put, because we still don't know. We said, just put whoever girl, uh, whoever boy it is, put the girl off the other person. And he said, let's put two because it's unlikely you want to have twins because the first time didn't take it. And second mother doesn't seem like we'll carry twins. And then we ended up with twin girls. So we have three kids um, back to back. So what does it mean to you at, at, in your life to be an adult, to be a, a parent? What is that? What is fatherhood like? I had this big drive, as, as I mentioned, to go far in life. And now I'm thinking like, what was that? Because I don't remember what was the drive. Now I have a bigger purpose, clear purpose. Um, don't take me wrong. Three kids, very hard. We we drank a lot when they were born because we were just staying up. And my mom was like, you guys are alcoholic and crying. And I was like, you have a problem? I said, of course we have a problem. All of you and the kids and we can't sleep. This That's a problem, you know? Um, so it's not easy, you know? And you don't know what you're getting into. And um, But every day, the day that I'm like, get, you know, attacked and my phone doesn't ring for every beautiful stuff. My phone usually rings if my leadership cannot handle things and then triggers up. So when I get those days that I have to make an executive decision and I'm so devastated and, or, or COVID hit and we're like all scared. We don't know what will, it's going to happen. 
it just is something beautiful when I'm holding one of them and I'm like putting my cheek on them or smelling them and just so just puts a little bit perspective. And I don't know if I could have done last five years with everything I've gone through with my business. And I don't think I could have done it if I didn't have kids. I thought about it a few days ago. I'm like, how would I have done it? Because I think they give me the purpose and the big why. With my father, I have no anger towards him. Literally, I used to have a lot. And I, I honestly think, I hope he's with someone. I hope He's not alone, especially through COVID. I was thinking, he. I hope he has someone. He's he's being him, whatever that is. Um, I don't talk to him. Um, when he comes to U.S., when I see him in my sister's or brother's place, they're just high and, but no deep conversation. I mean, it was too late. There's nothing to be built and recover at this point. Um, he also doesn't have an interest, so it's okay. Um, he's much nicer to my sister or the kids, to best of his ability, um, definitely not the warmest person, but he's kind enough to their kids. Um, my mom, who, if you read the book, you know, she tried to convert me to be straight, to kill herself and guilt trips and all that, to now she will be the first one at my house for anniversary with flowers and cake. And it, she was in my house this morning because I told her, come and watch the kids. I'm leaving early and he has a Zoom and she's the most supportive mom. Um, so if you're coming out, if you, it took me 21 years to come out to myself and I was expecting my mom to love me in 20 minutes. Someone told me, because like, it took you that long to come out to yourself. Give her, give her some time and look how beautiful it is. My brother and sister, extremely supportive. My sister's husband, um, from first day, just extremely, it's, she was worried that, oh, taboo in our family, our Armenian family, brother is gay, it's nothing like that. Um, I think set an example for a lot of cousins and extended families that it's all fine. Um, my, my husband's family, the same, they're very educated and loving, and we have a lot of families around us. If When the day I came out, if you ask me, you're going to, I'm like, nope, I'll be alone. But um, it's not, I mean, it's it, honestly, it's a lot of families. Sometimes we're like, can we this Sunday have no one here? Just, just no one, because they all want to be in our house. You mentioned earlier some of the feedback you're getting from uh, people regarding your book, you know, Armenians and and others in, in other countries too. But specifically, how is your family and maybe other people who are mentioned in the book, have you gotten feedback from them? They are, um, the book is actually coming out next week. So we'll be, so I have the ARC. So whoever had the ARC, read the, uh, the advanced reader's copy, they are like, wow, I didn't know. If they're friends and family close by, they're like, wow, I respect you. How come you never shared any of this? But I, I'm very curious what they will think um, of me after because it doesn't change who I am. Um, but I will say that um, I'm getting some Armenian um, people that they read the story or watch my video and variety from straight to gay to older to young that they are engaging with me a lot more and they want to know more or 
they will say something similar. This happened to me or in Iran, this, my mom did did so much that I'm happy to see there's a change and people are willing to share, maybe not openly, but at least with me. And um, I, I think um, my story will be inspiring a lot of Armenians and Iranians, but at the same time, some people in it will be like, well, that happened to us too. It's because of the norm. Does that make sense? Some some of the angles, not all the book, but I'm talking about some of the chapters will be like, that's just the way it was. Which is a very different response to when your mom outed you to, was it, what was it? A, uh, On the radio? Yeah, when she, yeah, the radio. Yeah, she outed you to the Ar- Armenian community. Iranian. Uh, or Iranian, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, you know what I love in your book, in each chapter at the very end, you insert some advice. And so as we're nearing the end of our, our conversation, I'd love to hear kind of what, what are some general, you know, suggestions or advice or some, some coaching words that you might have, especially for LGBTQI folks, maybe folks from um, other, you know, oppressive cultures and people who are trying to make it in this country. Great question. Um, a lot. And that's what I did. It. I wrote it as a lessons in the end and what I learned. Um, for LGBTQ um, people, I will say that your family, it's, you will build another family when you come out. So if you are worried about it, just know you will be surprised how many more people will love you. Um, so don't just rely on people that you know and blood because as you grow some friends and or partners will become your family so have the courage find someone and you don't need 10 you just need one or two to have that um and it's it's cool to be gay you know i you actually can be different and own it and i loved it because at one point i started owning it i was like i am different get over it and that doesn't come overnight. It comes with a lot because you have to gain confidence. But it, it at one point, it allowed me to show that being gay has nothing to do with who I am. That's my life. And I had to, at first I thought in being gay, that means that's everybody's life and everybody has to judge me on my everything I do. And I had to accept that that's my personal life. It's none of anybody's business in in my business right now i don't i don't lead by that you don't you know if uh, you don't see a straight man to walk and just say by the way hi i'm straight you know that's just the way i'm going to work today it's like so so if you're scared and i was remember um there's a lot of right now there's a lot more support that you would have had 20 years ago and I think last five years in, from look around, like look at the movements. Like I had a guy the other day I was coaching and he said, yeah, when I came out, my mom threw me a coming out party at the age of 14. And I said, oh my God, so many things is wrong with this sentence. You come out at 14 and then your mom throw a party? How? Like why? Like I just couldn't understand. So, And I'm very glad that there's a new generation can go through that. And um, one of the biggest advice that I will say, if you want to make it in life and business and your career and you are have a any type of um challenge like i have had don't listen 
to anyone who's not qualified to give you advice. There is no way the person who's qualified will be available all day long to give you advice. So if you find those people around you, they tell you what life is about, how to do your, like in sales, how to do your sales, and they're standing right there. I'm like, you're not busy. So it sounds like you shouldn't be giving advice because what kind of salesperson is at 4 p.m. standing right in the middle of the office? So in business, in life, if you have a marriage issue, you're not going to go to restaurant and ask and a server or a chef tell me give me marriage um canceling you want to go to marriage canceler so and you won't go to marriage canceler ask about the chef and how to bake anything or cook anything so so why would you left let your life decisions be given by a friend or someone that is not qualified so what I mean by that find a role model in that business or aspect and um you role models are usually not available. You got to ask them. They're not just going to be pick up available for you 24 seven or have a chat on their video um, website open for you to ask questions. So beg them. I have begged a lot of professional real estate agents and brokers uh, throughout my life to just, can I pick your brain? Can I take you to lunch? And um, those are the advices you want to listen and um, don't let anyone's limited believe put a cap on yours because look at look at me if i couldn't speak english had no money and i was able to model others because i didn't invent anything i did i'm not a genius that i just came to here and i just invented something so cool that no one had i just copied others and whoever was successful and i built something more for that i like and the way i do business and um, nothing is wrong to copy others and become better authentic version of yourself that, that kind of touches on a question from the audience, which is how did you get into real estate in Southern California? Um, that's probably a much longer topic than we have time for now, but um, maybe just when did you know that was what you were going to do when you got here? Maybe a bit about, about the that. real estate. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I thought I'm going to be dentist and um, I that's dentist, doctor, engineer. That's the only thing you become in my culture. And then I was like, I'm going to, I was broke. I became an assistant to an agent and um, that agent said, you need to get your license. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm going to be a dentist. He goes, I get your license. And I got my license. I sold 21 homes on the first year. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like you make so much money. You're outdoor. You tell people how, and you walk around and this is, and I was so natural. And then my career grow and I quit dental school. So I recently talked on something, another show that they talk about passion and that's your passion. I'm like, mm, if I love the homes that I love that I sell, I most probably have sold maybe four homes. I don't love the homes I sell. You know, I, my, my, I run a business. I love when the result is there. I love when you purchase something or you create wealth for yourself or I sell because you're moving somewhere else and you get to your goals and I make my commission and I create position under me. So I create jobs that my passion, but the home, no. And you can't, passion is not something you're, you just follow and you build upon. You will, you have to create a skill set. I mean, I like fishing. I will say I'm the only game man like fishing most probably, but you don't see me on a boat fishing all day long. So that's not, that's my passion, but uh, that's they miss. I think people misunderstand passion and skill set to create a life for yourself. And 
um, I fell in love with what I do every day more, not the first day. That's how I approach this. I was going to ask, what do you think is the secret to that success and being able to sell so many homes? You people person or just that, I, what you were referring I'm to? Blunt. Yeah. I'm very blunt. And um, sometimes they don't like it, but you will they respect it. And um, I, th- it's very easy to have a bad reputation, but it's very difficult to have a good one, which because if you do one thing wrong, they ruins everything, but you do so many things wrong and no one will remember. So if you just want to have a good career, do the right thing every single time, even though sometimes you just want to tell the person what, or you want to fire or the person or not work or just take the shortcut because you can get the commission more, whatever that is, or any business. Um, I think my secret has been very direct, honest about it backfired sometimes, but then long-term has worked out. And, um, and also I, I never worked for them. I initially, I wanted money to survive, but you don't find anyone in any business who's number one, number two, doing, doing really well. And they're doing it for money. They're doing it because they want to be the best. They want to have the market share. There's a drive. So if you say, I want to do this because I want to make money, I coach a lot of people and I'm telling you, if the money is the reason you do anything, I don't think you're going to get there, that, that level. If, but if you are really, truly happy about it or changing lives, whatever your purpose is, I think the money will follow because then you don't have to wake up every morning like, oh, I have to go to work. It's like, I, I'm doing what I do every day. I love it. I'll take off if I want to. I'll answer my emails from home. But that's a luxury you can have when you're good at what you do. I love that. I love that. John, we're doing this not for the money for sure. Um, sure. but, but <laughs> Harma says it, it will follow. You have a last question, John? I do. So you're near Hollywood. You've just published a book. Have you kind of been imagining it as a movie or are you in talks to have it made into a movie or a Netflix series or something? I mean, there are so many chapters of that book. You, you can, A, you tell them very well, but B, they're just, so they're going to stay with you forever. I mean, the reader, it's, it's very important. So do you think of multimedia in this? John, you, um, we're connected. Um, it's so weird because we, we've been um, asked last couple of days and last week uh, from Netflix to some other in third-party independent production companies to many concepts and I want a movie and I was like, how can you make a movie about this? Like it's a lessons. I, I don't know, but my, my partner has been approached um, through his places that I, and he, me and him are very clear. So he told them you can, he can reach out to me directly. Um, I don't know what this will go on, how will the Intel, but there's three things I'm very clear. Um, I don't want to jeopardize what I have um, as a business owner. My real estate and business comes first. My agents and their business and their lives comes first, not mine. I'm okay if I don't have it. I have had opportunity to be a million-dollar agent and all that. I just don't think there's money in that. And um, it's fake. I cannot do anything that is not real. So it's, so I can't. So it has to be real, authentic, and not affect my business. Number two, um, kids, family, off limit. This is about business. I'm not going to have my personal life out there. And the last thing is, if it's truly not going to have an impact, I don't need, 
I don't, it's not going to be short-term fame. So, but if I'm going to have an impact and have a changed life, I'm very open to it, but I'm very flattered with some requests and some conversation that is happening right now. Well, everyone, when it's out, you should definitely go get a copy, get your own copy, getting back up a story of resilience, self-acceptance, and success. Um, Harman, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for sharing your stories. I love that, you know, as LGBTQI people, yes, we go through very many traumatic experiences, but what you teach us is that we too can live in success and happiness. We can have those things such as a family and our dreams. So thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you both of you for having me and this is my honor. Thank you. John, you have the last words. Thank you, Harma. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you, everyone who's been watching and listening to this. You can find more upcoming Michelle Meow Show programs at Commonwealth Club at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. So have a good rest of your week. Stay safe and healthy.